0: in the Paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio and now here's Gene Steinberg
1: so the reaction is still coming in to last week's appearance of Dr. or Colonel John Alexander on the Paracast of course I guess some of the comments are that this guy may be himself a military disinformation agent Chris you've known Colonel Alexander for many, many years.
2: What's your take mm, on it? I wouldn't say many, many years. I've known him since...
1: Uh, I've known him about four or five years. Okay, in those four or five years, what's your take on him?
2: Well, being a retired lieutenant colonel in the Army with a background in intelligence and some pretty nefarious tasks that he's uh, performed, uh, I think, in his military career. He was involved uh, in Vietnam, Doing long long range recon, which may or may not involve Project Phoenix and you know programmed assassinations and and taking out uh, strategic hamlets and that sort of thing. So, someone with that kind of background is going to really obviously have a um, you know a real tight command and control over what he says and is very very uh, conscious of you know security oaths and other things that he's taken in the past. So, someone in his position, I think. Is handcuffed to a certain degree, but I've always gotten the impression that he's he's been very upfront. I've never got him to say I can't tell you that I know, but I can't tell you, or I can neither confirm or deny that you've asked me that. So I haven't gotten any of the standard disclaimers or refusals to answer questions. Uh, perhaps because I haven't asked the right question. I think in the conversations that I've had with him, he comes across as being genuine and telling me how he really feels about uh, whatever particular subject we're talking about. And I think his um, long and storied career and his involvement with Los Alamos and uh, with the NIDS organization have really turned his head towards a direction of seeking a all-encompassing mechanism or formula that um, ties together various divergent, seemingly unrelated paranormal phenomena. I really feel that he is a seeker. You know, the whole thing about the NRO and, monitoring uh, near-Earth space and, um, you know, not having any sort of information about the NRO in his book. I think there are some things that he knows that he is just hoping somebody's not going to ask him. uh, You know, he would have to deflect or clam up about a particular subject. But I think as I get to know him more, I think he's he's become uh, more open and I think it's, at some point I'm going to start really asking him some real tough, hard, hard questions that you know might push the envelope a little. Uh, all in all, I think he's really trying to uh, to communicate as much as he can, and I, I do have a sense that he's being upfront.
1: And I think the reason some people pose this, of course, is because of his intelligence connections. They have the same suspicions back in the early days when Major Kehoe's organization, NICAP, had a number of former military on their board of governors, including the first head of the CIA. Yeah, Roscoe Hillencotter. Yes, Roscoe Hillencotter. And you think, why does a guy like that get involved? He did leave NICAP after a time, and I suspect part of it is the blowback. So if you look at someone like Dr. Alexander, and there obviously has to be a point there where he cannot answer a question, or he'll deflect it, or he will give you the disinformation answer which may be one of the perceptions here, that maybe when you get too close to some things, he will answer the question, but not really give you the full, honest answer. I think one of the concerns people had also was when I was asking him about tasers and the experience in tasers, and I said, aren't there a lot of fatalities? He mentioned about 10, but one of our listeners in our forums pointed to several thousand.
2: Well, several hundred. I think it's up in the 500s. But, you know, again, if you don't really follow this thing, these things, which I would be surprised if he didn't, you know, I think that that was a little disingenuous on his part to uh, come up with such a lowball number. I, I, You know, you really have to always, when it comes to classified information or potentially uh, classified subjects and information, unless you have a need to know, there's no way that you're going to be able to compromise sources, uh, and if if you are, you're, you're going to be extremely f- lucky, uh, and I, I would think it's rare to be able to get around and circumvent not having a need to know. You know, it doesn't matter how much you ask, if you don't have that, that clearance or that need to know, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to find out anything uh, concrete, and You know, it's one thing to hear rumors and and asides from individuals. It's another thing to actually get smoking gun evidence in the form of documentation or, you know, three people confirming uh, a particular fact or or, uh, a a particular scenario. So, you know, he does have that kind of working against him and his uh, attempt to form a UFO working group within the intelligence and and military community to try to figure out the extent of official knowledge of UFOs. I think was kind of doomed uh, (laughs) from the beginning because of this this whole uh, scenario of having or not having a need to know. You can ask away and you'll never get the answers. And then
1: it gets back to the original thing. You know, if I tell you I have to kill you, which is a joke, but it means he couldn't tell you even if he knew. He couldn't even tell you if he knew. And it gets back to that revolving circle. But anyway he's a fascinating guest and let's hope that we have him on again and we can ask him more questions. Now the run up to this week's interview and we have Travis Walton joining us. And of course we all know the story back in the 1970s. He was apparently abducted by aliens. So the story goes, he was missing for several days, five days. And he was just a mere 22 years of age when it happened. Now, Obviously, lots of questions have been raised about Travis Walton. Number one of which, of course, is was he telling the truth? What was he doing for those five days? Some say, of course, they point to supposedly contradictory results with polygraph tests as an example to raise suspicion. Of course, the story was featured in a somewhat fictionalized form in a movie from the 1990s called Fire in the Sky, where actor D.B. Sweeney played travis walton so you know it made him famous but certain parts of that movie including the abduction scene were heavily fictionalized
3: yeah we'll
2: talk we'll talk to him about that and and i've, I've already talked uh with tracy Tourme, the producer of the movie about it and uh there was some some uh you know friction uh that occurred between the studio and the production crew and people that were responsible for producing the movie and um you know they were pretty much forced to ratchet up the fear factor and and fictionalize heavily fictionalize the the interior scenes which were originally filmed the way they occurred and they were sent back in to redo them because it wasn't scary enough
1: It's a movie. It's an entertainment company. And to them, it's not a documentary. To them, it is something that is designed to get a big box office result. As a movie, it was a middling success. I guess it recovered the production costs, but not much more. And of course, Tracy Torme explained some of that the last time he was here on the Paracast. So we know about that. So we'll ask Travis about the differences between the fictional version and what really happened to him gets him up to dates. And he's got this conference coming up in the same place where this incident occurred, somewhere in a way up there in the woods, somewhere in Arizona.
2: It's actually the conference is going to be in the little town that he ended up uh, waking up and, and finding himself uh, back on Earth, as it were, uh, in Heber, Arizona, which, as the crow flies, is uh, only about an hour for me, not even. Uh, if I could, you know, get on my uh, my little personal uh, helicopter and fly over there, I could probably do it in about forty five fifty minutes. So it's right down the mogion Rim for me. Uh, and um, the conference has quite a stellar uh, list of of speakers. Uh, myself excluded in that, comment, well, of
1: course. If it wasn't driving through the mountains, I might actually go up there. It's about two and a half hours from here. Tell you what, we've got Travis Walton coming up on the show he'll be answering your questions and there are lots of them and we'll be talking about the conference where a lot of notables in the ufo field will be there including our own chris o'brien i might get there again if i decide i can handle driving through the mountainous roads travis walton next with gene and chris you're in
2: the Paracast.
3: They are ready to answer your questions at 800-686-2237. Again, that's 800-686-2237.
4: What good is a big
5: Berkey water filter?
6: can last for five to ten years. That means big savings. Big Berkey, the one that's powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water. Get a Big Berkey today at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. GCN listeners receive five percent off all ceramic filter systems. Visit our website or call one eight seven seven ninety nine Berkey. That's eight seven seven ninety nine B E R K E Y. Big Berkey water filters for the love of clean water.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous
1: Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. I'll tell you, as Chris said in our previous segment, I think we've had more requests over the eight and a half years of the Paracast to bring on Travis Walton than just about any other guest. Chris and I have asked him over the years, and now we finally got it together. So, Travis, welcome to the Paracast.
7: Well, great to be here. You know, it's really strange how this has just kind of grown over the years rather than fading away. I I recently sent a book to Croatia for the first time. It's just kind of phenomenal how it just continues to... uh, Bring interest from around the world.
1: Now, before we get into this big event that you're sponsoring, and then Chris and I are kind of discussing this because I know Chris will be there, and I don't like driving through mountains. And I have to think about the fact that to me it's a two and a half hour trip, and I'll probably just come for the reason that all these people are there, Chris is there, and you're sponsoring the event. I'm going to ask you about that for a moment. But you think back now that this happened. You were, what, 22 years of age?
7: Yeah. So totally oh. unprepared for, for what was uh, coming into my life. You know, the impact of the event, of course, was just overwhelmed everything for a number of years, but I, I didn't even realize at the time that, you know, my, my life would never, ever return to what it was.
1: Before we get into any of these things here, at 22 years of age, and you were working as a logger, right?
7: Yep. Swinging that chainsaw.
1: Better you than me. All right. What kind of ambitions did you have in the working world? Were you just a kid happy to have a job?
7: Yeah, it was just, I was just, you know, you know, it was just something to to do. It certainly wasn't a a lifetime plan. You know, I had a number of interests, you know, I'd taken uh, the private pilot training classes and you know, uh, certified as an EMT, a lot of, a lot of interests in a lot of different areas, and you know, I was just so interested in so many things, I hadn't settled on anything yet. But, but you know, I, I certainly didn't see my future as a logger, and I didn't, didn't see it as someone that, <laughs> involved with, uh, you know, this event that happened.
1: Had you read much at all about UFOs?
7: Well, you know, I had a like I said a wide variety of interest, and it, it was a subject that came up. But no, I hadn't read about it. I there was a there was a lot of talk that because there had been a conversation a few weeks before at work that that I was some kind of a UFO buff. But you know, that's hardly the case at all. You know, I'd never been to a UFO conference or anything of that sort. Uh, there was it was just that there had been some cattle mutilations in the area. Uh, and they were in the news. And so it kind of brought the conversation up.
1: Now, before we get into the nuts and bolts about this, and the reason we're going to cover a little bit of old ground is that a number of our listeners, you know, haven't followed any of this. And maybe they saw the movie Fire in the Sky, a highly fictionalized version of what happened to you. And that's maybe all they know. Before we do that, this conference, it's happening later this year. Can you tell us something about that and who's going to be there?
7: Well, you know, I resisted this, but I just had a guy that just urged me to do it that felt it was important and uh, willing to help make it happen. And so he talked me into it. So um, November 5th, uh, we're going to have a Skywatch on the exact uh, date. Now it was on a Wednesday back in 1975 and this uh, this uh, November 5th falls on a Wednesday too so we're having an early skywatch even though the conference itself is on the 7th 8th and 9th you know Friday Saturday and Sunday
1: So what do you have like a hotel or something there to house people a Well actually hall?
7: there's a there's a big barn that's been remodeled into a banquet hall. They've been holding a lot of weddings and and business conferences there, and it's just one of the few areas, uh, a a few venues in the entire area there that uh, are capable of holding that many people. Okay. So it's a barn, (laughs) a remodeled barn. It's going to be pretty nice, and it'll work just
1: fine. So this is a very small town we're talking about here.
7: Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty small town. And, uh, my greatest worry is having enough hotel space, you know, but there's a lot of campgrounds there too. So we're going to encourage as many people who come to, you know, add a little element of adventure and, and, uh, come and make it a camp out too.
2: Yeah. Send them down to Turkey Creek on the rim there and, uh, and tell them to, uh, keep a, a watchful eye out.
7: <laughs> you know I never thought about that but there's probably going to people be people who would actually want to camp out over that way. Yeah, That's
2: I I've actually uh, Travis I've I've camped there. Um a little closer to the rim and and uh, halfway between the site and the uh the uh the fire tower there. Let me give the stats on this place. Population in 2010 was
1: 2822. So you can probably double that by having this event over there, it's an elevation of 6,627 feet. And in terms of locations, it's 144 miles north of Phoenix, the junction of State Route 260 and State Route 277. I guess the best route from where I am is to get on to Route 260 and come up. But there you go. Tell us about the speaker choice.
7: Well, I I wanted to choose uh, people who would um, sort of lay the groundwork uh, in this area. You know, this is a totally new thing for the people in this area, and I wanted to, you know, kind of get the bedrock of ufology. You know, I've got Stan Friedman speaking about the... um, you know, the, the scientific uh, basis for, you know, the reality of this phenomenon. And uh, just, you know, somebody from each area that can uh, cover.
2: Um Some of the things that were going on in the area back in uh, that first week of November of, of cattle cases occurred just weeks before your event. And I find that uh, fairly intriguing. And in my new book, uh, Stalking the Herd, I do devote uh, <laughs> a, a bit of space to discuss how this, it's kind of hard not to make a connection between the the mutilation waves and other sightings uh, that occurred in the area uh, just prior to your event occurring. Clifford Mahoudi, who is one of your speakers, uh, he and his family had an incredible sighting uh, within, I think, a week or 10 days of your your actual uh, abduction. And uh, this was up the road, about 80, 100 miles in the Zuni Reservation. And uh, his account of this particular event is is quite amazing. And I can't wait to see uh, how people respond to, you know, kind of a correlated event that uh, I think may be indicative of a lot of the weird, strange activity that was going on in the area back uh, in that early early to mid-fall period of 75.
7: Yeah, we're, we're you know, located between several uh, Indian reservations here, and uh, so naturally, you know, I did want the Native American perspective, you know, with the three Native American speakers that uh, we're, were uh, having, uh, you know, because that's that's part of the picture here. But my incident happened, you know, just, you know, a quarter of a mile from the, Border to the Apache Reservation. So, yeah, 80 miles away is just a blink of an eye for these uh, machines, these uh, craft.
1: Hey, let's get into very much more of this in our next segment. Travis Walton joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> We are the premier
8: independent talk radio network, the Genesis Communications Network, GCN.
5: Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies paranormal activity, and affording phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's mr. UFO at webtv.net. Find out
3: what they don't want you to know.
9: The human body is extraordinary. Despite all the stresses we inflict upon it, it still works hard to stay in balance. Thousands upon thousands of people rely upon heart and body extract to help their body stay balanced. This excellent, 100% natural herbal formula helps maintain healthy blood pressure levels, cleans arteries, promotes good circulation, balances cholesterol, and more. HB Extract, paired with healthy lifestyle choices like good nutrition and exercise, can give you a life free of pain, sickness, and fear. Recapture your youthful vitality and experience your body healing itself with the aid of HB Extract. It's extremely effective, and it starts working in just days. Visit HBExtract.com to learn more and to read scores. Of testimonials from satisfied customers, and we've never increased our price in over 10 years. That makes heart and body extract as great a value now as it was the first day we sold it. A healthy heart is a happy heart. Call 866-295-5305 or go to hbextract.com.
5: This alert just came in. This special announcement is for business owners and leaders of organizations who've been waiting for the right time to build. General Steel has made it impossible to wait any longer with rock bottom prices that could save you thousands. You can't afford to wait, so call 866-91-STEEL. Lock in your price now. Call 866-91-STEEL. That's 866-917-8335.
10: September is National Preparedness Month, so make it a September to remember by getting your emergency food supply from the Freeze Dry Guy. On sale this month, our 2014 Stew Butter and Potatoes unit. You'll get one number ten can each of high quality Mountain House Chicken Stew, Vegetable Stew with Beef, Pilot Crackers, plus the highest quality dehydrated ABC Stew, Butter and Potatoes for a total of 160 one half cup servings. Retail value 16141, but not this month. The Freeze Dry Guy offers the 2014 Stew Butter and Potatoes unit for only 123. $3.93. Save over $37. Plenty of protein, veggies, carbs for energy, and tasty, hearty, storable food with a shelf life of over 25 years. Call 866 404 3663. Free shipping to the lower 48 states. Click freezedryguy.com or call 866 404 3663. That's freezedryguy.com. Hurry, the National Preparedness Month sale and September 30th from the Freeze Dry Guy. The finest freeze dried and dehydrated foods available anywhere for long term storage.
7: This is Jacques Vallée, you're listening to the podcast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: Here with Gene and Chris, we're happy to welcome Travis Walton to the show. And of course, he's sponsoring this event in November, a UFO conference in the area where he awakened after this abduction experience. What's the event called?
7: It's called the Skyfire Summit, you know. Skyfire was something I came up with when I began uh, self-publishing the book. Uh, the, my printer said, "Well, you got to have a, a name." So, just on the spur of the moment, I came up with Skyfire Productions, and so that's the name of the conference and summit. Uh, you know, is a, kind of a. Double meaning there, you know. Summit is also the top of the mountain, and you know, up there, uh, seven thousand feet, where the uh, incident happened, is kind of like the top of the mountain. It's one of the highest points around. That's the name of the Skyfire Summit.
1: And this is
2: what thirty-nine years. Yes, the original event.
7: The 39th anniversary. And it's, it's also it's world. also
2: right right on the anniversary there. uh it, It's the pre-conference events are on the fifth and sixth. The actual conference itself is uh, November seventh, eighth, and 9th
7: Uh, Well, you know, there's uh, even some international uh, media in attendance already. You know, we just barely announced, but uh, there's a major French uh, magazine writer flying in from France, and uh, there's also uh, a movie being shot, (laughs) and they're going to do a little filming. Uh, This is a different uh, French production company filming a feature film, an independent film. And they want a little background for the for that movie, and they're going to be filming there. And that's just, uh, and there's some other product, uh, film uh, crews coming.
1: Among the other speakers, by the way, and I'm looking at the list, you've got Kathleen Martin, we've got Linda Moulton Howe, definitely want to talk to her, Peter Robbins, Richard Dolan, Donald Schmidt, Tracy Tourme's is going to be there.
7: Yes, Tracy Tourmay, screenwriter on Fire in the Sky. Right. Uh, Don Schmidt will be uh, speaking about uh, Roswell. Uh, Richard Dolan will be speaking about uh, government secrecy and the cover-up and that sort of thing. You know. So this is trying to cover the, cover the subject in a comprehensive way as best you can with uh, 15 speakers.
1: Now let's go back here to the beginning. Let's return to those thrilling days of yesteryear. I sound like the Lone Ranger here. 1975. For those who, as I said, haven't heard much about your story, or maybe just saw the movie, which is not quite a fully accurate portrayal of what happened, can you tell us in maybe the next segment or two a brief summary of this event? Travis,
7: well, you know that's some of the things that the the movie did get right was you know here was this event you know coming uh, out of the blue <laughs> and, uh, no pun intended uh, you know coming out of nowhere uh, for a, a group of loggers on the way home from work uh we'd finished up work and we're headed out of there and at first, we just saw some of this glow off in the trees, and uh it wasn't until we got where we had a closer view of it that we realized you know that this was. Something truly extraordinary. I mean, the minute we burst into the clearing and had a clear view of it, uh, everybody knew what it was immediately. You know, the skeptics who say, oh, we just saw the planet Jupiter, or somebody was saying it was Air Force helicopters on maneuver, just silly explanations that, you you know, have nothing to do with what we're reporting and describing in detail, you know. Here it is, wham, you know, just unmistakable. But I just assumed it would take off before I got close. So when I started towards this thing, I, I, I you know, was it was kind of a major miscalculation. The closer I got, the more anxious the crew got, and of course, the more scared I became. And it, it, uh, when I got right up to it and was sitting there, just awestruck by the, you know, the magnificence of the sight of this thing, it was you know, the guys in the truck, some of them said, you know, you could just tell something was going to happen. And I think what they were really talking about there was that there was some kind of an energy buildup happening, a a charge. You know, they say that people who were, you know, um, near or, you know, about to be struck by lightning, they'll feel this, um, the hair rising up on the back of their neck. They're like, there's you know, there's a kind of a, a sensation of the charge before it actually erupts. And, and I think that's kind of what, what it was, because when it suddenly got louder and started to move, I I just jumped into a crouch and because there was a log in front of me, and I was just trying to get down behind that. And um, when I stood up to run back to the truck, I actually closed the distance between me and the craft. And I think this energy that was building up burst out of there and and went to ground through me. You know, for so many years, it was interpreted as, you know, like a beam that was fired, some sort of a defensive weapon or maybe deliberately attempting to, you know, stun me or something. But, you know, now I I really do think it was just an accident that, that happened because, you know, I, I got so close so suddenly, and um, this energy hit me. Even my foremost detractor as an anti-UFO guy wrote a whole paper describing how he thought that these uh, sightings that pilots had were just a result of this incredible electrical charge that builds up in the surface of airplanes when they travel through the air at high speed. You know, when you refuel an airplane, you have to put a ground wire on it to prevent, uh, you know, the spark from igniting the fuel. And, you know, he was saying in this paper that this, you know, can be in millions of volts. And he was trying to explain UFO sightings in that. But none of the physicists and the scientists who examined the paper were all that impressed with it. But it does, you know, uh, document a genuine effect that once when, when something flies through the atmosphere at a very high rate of speed, that it um, can build up these enormous charges. So it could have been something like that because, you know, this, this UFO obviously could fly much faster than an airplane. But it also might have been sort of a side effect of the propulsion system or something um, the um, the tree growth that was later discovered uh, you know to have affected the trees nearest where the craft came down you know could have been as a side effect of the presence of the craft and the, the it emanating this energy but uh, you know, something that just occurred to me is what if they were actually doing some kind of an agricultural experiment and that was the reason for this charge and that I kind of got in the way of something that was really you know, intended for trees and was injured by it. So rather than being an abduction, it was more of a uh, an ambulance call, more of a, an attempt to revive me due to an accident that was really on my own fault.
1: So you think whoever piloted this craft was trying to help you or save your life even?
7: Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking because, you know, the, in the movie... Yeah, well, you know, in the movie, you know, the, you know Hollywood is always accused of exaggerating and embellishing everything, but in the point where this bolt of light uh, hits me, it was far more violent, you know, just a more dazzling sight than they portrayed in the movie. And, you know, it's surprising that, you know, Hollywood never wants to pass up a chance for a light show, but the, the actual uh, blast from that was so powerful that, you know, my body was flying through the air all like a rag doll and you know just parts of my arms and legs that come you know sticking out of this ball of energy to where uh the crew were saying that they were you know arguing amongst themselves whether it had burned me up disintegrated me in a, you know and uh ken was saying on the way back that you know his greatest fear was what my body was going to look like you know all burned up because the violence of it the power of it Dwayne Smith, who later became an electrician on industrial stuff, was saying that it sounded like high voltage to him, that this blast of energy, you know, uh, seemed very electrical.
1: Let's go into that response in a moment in our next segment. We have Travis Walton joining us this week. Of course, he wrote the book Fire in the Sky, and a movie was made of that book with a few changes that we'll go into in a moment. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast.
8: We are America's largest independently owned communications network,
0: GCN. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget.
11: Don't miss this limited time offer. Give us a call at 800-538-5252 because we're going to let a million people try Proactive Plus risk-free and get two free gifts and also receive free shipping when you call right now.
13: Limited number of free programs available. Call now. 1-888-912-1595. one 888 That's one 888
14: 912
3: This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO
1: Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. With Gina and Chris in the Paracast, Travis Walton is joining us. And of course, he had this, what we call, abduction experience. Back in 1975, that was fictionalized somewhat in Fire in the Sky. And you were mentioning, in a sense then, can we say maybe that you were almost electrocuted then?
7: Well, you know, it's hard to say what the nature of that energy was, you know, and my skeptic, my foremost detractor was saying, well, if it was that powerful, it should have burned his clothes off or started the woods on fire, you know, but, you know, for whatever it is, you know, it had the power to knock me 10 or 20 feet through the air. And as you know, you know, a police stun gun is perfectly capable of knocking someone out without catching their clothes on fire. Um... but in one of the uh, police reports, the, the deputy wrote in his interview with one of the crewmen that they had described it as looking like a long blue flame. But other crewmen described it as like a big, you know, blue laser blast or something, uh, a lightning bolt sort of a thing. Whatever it was, I think it was um, probably very likely that it did cause at least cardiac arrest. and. uh After I was returned, I underwent a whole battery of medical tests, and one of those was an electroencephalogram, which is a brainwave scan. And the interesting thing about this is that the technician was not told who I was or what had happened. He was just—you know—this was at Barrow's Neurological Institute, a world-famous brain trauma center, and all he was looking for was signs of injury. And uh, he did remark on an unusual uh, brainwave pattern there. And uh, to me, this supports the idea that the, the energy did have some sort of a, a lasting effect on the nervous system. Now, I'm going to take that EEG report and get it uh, reviewed again, and probably again initially in a double-blind situation so that the the person examining the charts is not biased by a report of what happened to me, just their opinion. Does this resemble someone who was, uh, received an electrical shock or a lightning strike or something of that nature? And then also, uh, as follow-up, uh, to actually repeat an EEG and see uh, if that wave pattern is still there. Now, I've speculated that this unusual pattern, uh, this, this, you know, possible disruption in the nervous system may have been the reason that these beings were not able to control me and keep me on the table, that I was able to lash out and move away from them. And, you know, despite their best efforts to control me, you know, telepathically, that that wasn't going to work in the the state that my nervous system was, at least at that moment.
1: When this happened, did you remember everything as it happened, or did those memories come by later?
7: Well, I was not able to relate what I'd experienced to anyone for a number of days uh, completely, because it was just so traumatic to talk about that, you know, I was just, you know, doing everything I could just to hold it together and talking about it. I would just just break down. So the main thing that was accomplished with the hypnosis was not to try to get at the blocked portion of my memories, but to allow me to recall or relate what had happened to me separated from that fear. So You know, the relaxation techniques and all that, although it was still extremely intense, was the first time I was actually able to relate that conscious period. But, you know, the hypnosis did reveal that there is some sort of a block on the further memories of what happened aboard during those five days. But um, only little, little bits have come through over the years. And nothing, nothing to report in that regard, but I've always been uh, leery about undergoing hypnosis again to try to break through that repressed memory. And it only occurred to me in the last year or two that um, there might be a reason for that, that the possibility of regressing someone hypnotically back in time through a point where you were in cardiac arrest might actually cause cardiac arrest. And I'm not talking about, you know, heart failure from fear. I'm talking about, you know, the energy, if it actually, you know, stopped my heart, um, that bringing you back in time through that point in time might be dangerous in that regard.
2: Well, my my question would be, um, so I, I was not aware that, you were under uh, some sort of uh, regressive state when you first were able to come up with details. How much did you remember when you were lying there after being returned? And I want to go back oh, well, to, to the actual Everything event.
7: that was related, everything that was related under hypnosis was what I remembered before I underwent any hypnosis at all. So, you know, a lot of people are curious about that because one of the things the skeptics try to say is that these memories are really just implanted by the hypnotist with leading questions. But that was not the case at all. I related bits and and little fragments of it. Uh, Prior to that, uh, sort of a disjointed interview with the sheriff, you know, just a few things that I'd said to my brother, you know, immediately upon him uh, retrieving me from the telephone booth. So, you know, the memories were there intact. It was just the ability to express them. And that was really all that was achieved by the hypnosis. He wasn't, you know, in any way breaking through the, the block,
2: you know, in that vein, we have a, a series of questions from one of our uh, top posters at forum.theparacast.com, Burnt State. He's wondering, upon your return, you were described as being in a healthy condition, but absolutely terrified. What psychological support or assistance, if any, did you receive immediately afterwards to deal with the news media and to get through the first lie detector test? And and how, how much conscious recall do you have in in terms of hours uh over that five-day period because it sounds like a lot of it is still just a blank if you had to come up with a with an hour figure i mean how what percentage of the time that you were gone do you have a conscious recall of
7: oh you know probably around an hour maybe more maybe less you know it was all that uh we were describing uh you know in the hypnosis. Uh, it it was uh yeah there you know that was a huge and always has been you know a concern a a weight on my mind about what else there might be you know and that i think that contributes to my reluctance to undergo more hypnosis is that, you know, I've had my hands full dealing with what's happened up to now. And that kind of goes hand in hand with the question people are always asking, well, has anything more happened? And, you know, you know, like I said, I've had my, I got my hands full, uh, just dealing with, with, you know, what I remembered when I woke up on the road that way there. And what was the other part of your
2: question? Uh, the first well, uh, did you did you get any sort of psychological uh, support? In oh, other yeah. words, yeah. Well,
7: you know, back then there really wasn't support groups like there is now. There's a number of uh, organizations around the, the country who, you know, have some therapeutic uh, uh, expertise and and just the support of a group who have uh, undergone similar uh, trauma. But back then, they didn't have anything like that, and I I had nothing. Even the psychiatrist, the the team that uh, examined me early on, they were uh, so uh, embedded in the uh, orthodoxy that they wanted to interpret this whole experience as some kind of a psychological phenomenon rather than a real event. So that was a no help whatsoever you know and i had no kind of uh, counseling or you know certainly no medication of any kind to deal right. with this enormous stress that i was undergoing you know the 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 memory of what i'd been through and all that that was was huge and then to have all these horrible accusations being slung at me and my reputation you know being dragged through the the media the <laughs> Well,
2: not to mention that your your buddies, uh, the members of your crew, were under suspicion that they'd murdered you and had concocted this story as a cover for some sort of altercation that had happened. I mean, yeah, it must have were, been tra- difficult for them as well.
1: We have to do they the break now, the- Travis, so we're going to ask you more about that and give you time to respond rather than just rush through it right now. But we want to get into that particular point. So, our guest is Travis Walton, who had this amazing encounter with a UFO back in 1975. With Gene and Chris, you're in The The Paracast.
8: left, but always independent minded. The Genesis Communications
10: Network GCN Does advertising on the Genesis Communications Radio Network actually bring positive results? Let's ask Thomas Baldrick
15: from Free Strike Guy.
10: Thomas, talk about customer service at GCN
15: GCN is extremely Extraordinary in how they take care of their customers. The bottom line, Freeze Dry Guy keeps advertising on GCN because it works. If you'd like to experience
16: unbelievable customer service, call Lee Wickenhauser at 877-996-4327, extension 107.
9: On Facebook, on the news, and in conversations with friends, we're bombarded every day with advice on how to be healthier, from gluten-free and non-GMO diets to how much exercise and sleep the body needs. But how much have you heard about alkalizing the body? AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops are a holistic and natural way to get your body's pH levels back in balance. Just a few drops in water will help your body rid itself of harmful waste, and even the healthiest of diets can be complemented with your daily use of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops. Who isn't looking for more vibrance, vigor, and energy? Now buy two bottles of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops and get $10 off your order. Visit Alcavision.com or call 800-518-7615. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops are packed with a powerful combination of the most alkaline minerals and compounds. Open the door to greater health, vitality, and zest for life. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health. Call 800-518-7615 or head to AlkaVision.com.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene
1: Steinberg. With Gene and Chris in the Paracast, Travis Walton recounting his 1975 encounter with the UFO in the period he bent aboard it. So let's get back to what Chris was asking here. So while you were gone for five days, the authorities wondered if maybe your friends had murdered you for some reason. Can you tell us more about that?
7: Well, they were under tremendous pressure, and there was, you know, even some a lot of hostility, you know, in the accusations that were coming their way, even threats from my family members who suspected them of harming me. So they were protesting their innocence and saying they were willing to take sodium pentothal, lie detector, whatever, and uh, the sheriff took them up on it. Whether he heard about their requests or just did it on his own, they, he called in the um, state police uh, lie detector expert, the top guy in the state, and had him tested. And so when they passed, they weren't completely out from underneath the gun. The, the sheriff, you know, still had a theory that maybe they had uh, slipped me some drugs in my lunch that day and hit me on the head, and and somehow, you know, that they had created this uh, uh, illusion in my mind. Oh, they were also accused of just making up the story along with me and the crew boss to uh, somehow get out of the logging contract, but that was thoroughly, thoroughly debunked by all the contracting officers involved in the um, logging contract that... There was no way that any such incident could in any way benefit Mike, uh, the crew boss, and it certainly worked greatly to his disadvantage, as he would surely have known.
1: All right, so you wake up five days after it happened. Let's get more into your perceptions. Did just suddenly feel like you're waking up after a night's sleep? What, what were your impressions?
7: Yeah, it came to pretty quickly and I still have a little pain in, in in my head for a number of hours afterwards, but it was cold, uh, and I was lying face down and it was dark, but I could see there was a light above me, so I turned to see where the light was coming from and it went off before I looked, but there I could see above me this craft hovering in the darkness just for an instant before it just shot up into the sky. Well, My most recent memory was the feeling of total hysteria, feeling trapped. So the new surroundings was was one of freedom, even though I was in the dark. You know, it was still a familiar, you know, environment to be on a paved road on Earth, you know, in the forest. So that was quite a relief. And uh, I was very unsteady on my feet. But my main feeling there was relief, like I you know, had finally escaped the, this fearful situation. And I could see the lights of the town down below. And so I ran down and uh, was able to call my family to uh, come and get me.
1: This sounds almost like a fiction movie where somebody is captured or kidnapped and they wake up on the road. Let me go back here briefly to the hypnosis. Now... The person who hypnotized you, was that person previously familiar with UFOs and or abduction experience or just coming at this as a neophyte in that particular category?
7: Well, the hypnotist was Dr. James Harder, uh, from University of California, at Berkeley. And he was uh, a member of the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization. So he had uh, done hypnosis in this type of a situation before but he was a certified uh, in the lacrone school of hip, hypno uh hypnotism and uh, and uh, it was really a, a major milestone in my recovery you know that hypnosis session that whole thing was a was a big step in relieving a lot of the fear and tension that i was under it was unbearable and uh, you know his technique was amazing and the ability to to calm and uh, relieve
2: that fear you bring up the Apro, you know UFO organizations that that really did descend on on you and the area because of the intense media scrutiny that ensued after your return in the movie, the UFO investigators are portrayed in not so kind of a light they they come across as being very invasive. Uh, almost rabid in their uh, attempts to get you to open up and and, and trust them, and it, what was your impression of the the actual kind of circus that erupted around you, and what was your impression of the uh, UFO groups that were involved in, in attempting to get you to um, open up about what happened to you?
7: Well, there was quite a number of groups, and there was a tendency back in that day, and I think that probably still exist to a certain extent, that the tendency to uh, brand a particular prominent case as a good one if it's your case, and suddenly it, it needs more examination if if you don't have the case. And the, the uh, depiction in the movie of the uh, UFO group Afar really is not representing APRO at all. They were very professional in every way that was more representative of the group ground saucer watch who initially thought they had the case. And while they thought they had it, they were saying all kinds of positive things. But once it became apparent that this so-called medical doctor that they had sent me to was no doctor at all. Once, once they lost the case, then they started attacking it with, with all sorts of accusations that, this was really a drug hallucination, that this this supposed doctor, who wasn't even a doctor or drug expert at all anyway, as they were claiming, that, that it was a drug hallucination. But it was absurd that the news media didn't, rather than jumping on this accusation, um, didn't ask the simple question, well, how do seven people have the same hallucination?
2: (laughs) Well, Travis, either that or you guys are absolutely out of your minds to be uh, eating mushrooms or dropping acid while you're logging. Having done a bit (laughs) of logging myself, I I would uh, suggest to our listeners that that is not probably the best thing you can do uh, to protect your safety and and the safety of those around you by doing psychedelics uh, while logging.
7: The most dangerous occupation in, in, in the United States is, is logging oh, a very high death rate. But nobody has a, identical hallucinations. And, uh, and besides that, I had uh, blood insurance samples put through the county medical examiner's drug screen at that time, which proved there was no trace of any drug in my body. And besides that, it's been on a question on several of the lie detector tests that I've passed. So you know it's it's really an absurd thing, but you know the skeptics uh, you know keep it alive to this
1: day. But Travis, don't the skeptics also talk about the fact that you were hypnotized? Because you have somebody here who may be supremely experienced at hypnosis, maybe unfortunately also experienced in the UFO field, and you combine them to suggest, well, maybe they asked you leading questions to get the kind of answers they wanted.
7: Well. That's a common accusation, but the, the hypnosis session was taped, and there were no leading questions. It was actually observed by uh, uh, three psychiatrists who were actually skeptical of the whole thing, a number of reporters and my brother, they were all in the room observing this. And there was no leading questions. And again, just like with the hypnosis thing, if if the hypnotist was planning memories in my mind, what about the six crewmen who saw the first part of it themselves? You know, it, You know, it just doesn't add up. It's a really lame excuse to try to say, you know, because the rest of the crew wasn't hypnotized you know, what made them believe this happened, you
2: know? Well, here's another question uh, by, from Burnt State, and, and it's a good one, and this is uh, something that I always point out when your case comes up in a conversation and, and people are wondering about it. Um, I always maintain that you have been steadfast in your um, account, you have never embellished it, you never added or subtracted anything from it. And Burnt State's question is, Unlike many other abductees, you have not changed or added to your story, nor have you destabilized into a mystical or space brother (laughs) terrain or territory. What's your opinion, Travis, on other abductees' claims, such as Whitley Strieber, George Adamski, and the ever-present Stan Romanek?
1: Let's have that answer in our
2: next segment, Travis, okay?
1: We have Gene and Chris with Travis Walton. You're in. The (laughs) Paracast.
17: Call me at 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. That's 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. Be proactive, not reactive. Call 1-800-686-2237, extension 116.
15: Question: Could too many GMO foods and toxins be overloading your digestive and immune systems? Answer: Yes. If you're searching for a powerful detox that's gentle enough to use every day, use Pro-EM-1 from Terragonics. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic that uses good bacteria to suppress pathogens and gently eliminate toxins from your body. A healthy digestive system will cleanse and remove toxins, support weight loss, improve absorption of food nutrients, and aid in controlling yeast and other infections. Pro-EM-1 is made with only non-GMO and certified organic ingredients, has no preservatives, and is dairy, soy, wheat, and gluten-free. Pro-EM-1 is the key to your digestive health. Order Pro-EM-1 daily probiotic cleanse at Terragonics.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com, or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Also available through Amazon Prime. Pro-EM-1 from Terraganics. Life's getting better.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community
1: forums at forum.theparacast.com. Travis Walton is here today to answer your questions and ours. And he was asked one specific one by Chris from a frequent poster on the forum's burnt state. Travis, can we have your response now?
7: One of the things that really outraged me about some of the skepticism was that people were passing judgment on my case when they didn't have the, uh, the even the most rudimentary facts of what happened. I mean, if you're going to attack something, you ought to at least find out what I said before you start saying what I said wasn't true. And so, you know, in the first pages of my book, I quote Emerson. Condemnation without investigation is the height of ignorance. So I've always tried to avoid doing that myself. And undoubtedly, as you would expect, being out there talking about this, I've encountered a number of other reports and people who've uh, described certain things that have happened to them of a similar nature. And uh, I'm always being asked my opinion about that sort of thing. I've always... Stayed away from passing judgment on any particular case because unless I've investigated, I don't have the right to be pointing a finger. But I will say that there are a lot of good cases out there, solid reports with good evidence that that I personally believe is something of, of a nature similar to what I've experienced. And then on the other hand, there's quite a number, uh, quite a large number of cases that I think are of an entirely different nature, probably a number of different things, uh, other than the kind of thing that I experienced. Some are outright fabrications, others are, you know, just uh, vivid dreams that people have, uh, mistaken sightings, uh, of meteors, airport craft, or whatever, but that that's not to take away one bit from the core reality here that this is a widespread phenomenon experienced by other people who do in my mind meet the you know criteria necessary to you know you know accept what they're saying is is really happened
2: well, this brings me back to um the movie Fire in the Sky, which I enjoyed i I must say, and I recommend it to uh to everyone out there to, to at least get a sense of, of what happened. Tracy Torme, who I've known for uh, 20 years, uh, I think did a very, very good job. Uh, Tracy was a little bit, um, how would I put this, was a little bit peeved, I think, that the studio wanted him to ratchet up the fear factor, especially, obviously, during the uh, the actual scenes that were depicted while you were aboard the craft one glaring omission that i've always kind of wondered about in terms of looking at the movie version of what happened uh, versus your version in your book and that is the appearance of what appeared to be humans in uniforms and the whole scene where you were led into what appeared to be a hangar that was impossibly large for the size of the craft that you thought that you were aboard my first question is uh, why was that left out and then would you give us kind of a description of uh, of these humanoid types and how they interacted with you.
7: Well, you know, it's not just the movie that left that out. You know, in countless write-ups about this, magazine articles, interviews, documentaries, the presence of human-looking beings is just avoided altogether. To me, that's the most intriguing question, you know. It, it led me to wonder if there was some Earth-based connection or, and... You know, it could be the key to the whole thing, but you know, people avoid it. And I think, for the most part, including the movie, that this is done if they're because they're trying to emphasize the the invading monsters aspect of it. I, I gave a talk to a, a group in Hollywood recently—actors, directors, producers—and I was, you know, basically pleading with them, and you know, pointing out that you know that there's a such a wealth of story material about the the civilizations on other planets, without resorting to the invading monsters thing. That you know, there's there's all kinds of other fascinating storylines that they could come up with without, you know, demonizing and making this into a horror story.
2: Why don't you describe these humanoid characters and give us uh, what your recollections uh, would suggest are beings that are very similar to us, if not maybe us. Give us kind of a a sense of of who these uh, beings were, what your interactions were, and uh, the kind of role that they played within this whole kaleidoscope of events that occurred while you were aboard the ship?
7: Well, you know, the extreme fear that I was experiencing, you know, seeing a familiar form like that was was a relief, and I immediately interpreted it as a rescue. Uh, you know, their similarity to us is, led me immediately to assume they were us, but, you know, I, I'm more and more I think that that's not necessarily true at all.
1: You say similarity so, to us in what respects?
7: Well, you know, they would pass in a crowd on Earth. They were, you know, tall, healthy, you know, muscular, young-looking people, but and, you know, kind of alike in a family sort of way, but, you know, nothing that would draw that much attention in a crowd. So, you know, my assumption that they were from Earth was totally to be expected, but in hindsight... I've done a lot of thinking about these beings and in the small creatures. I think that even in the case of the small creatures that there are probably a number of species that look similar but probably come from completely different planets and just get lumped together. Now, science fiction writers, you know, and even even the, the scientists who speculate about life on other worlds go to uh, a ridiculous extent, in my view, of imagining creatures that are so bizarre as to be biologically impractical. You know, life is designed around surviving in a given environment, and life-supporting environments are going to be of a similar nature, you know, when they... Look at these stars out there, and the, and they judge whether a planet is possibly life-supporting.
2: They're, they're,
7: they're, you know, it can't be too close to the star so that it's too hot or too far away so that it's frozen. It's got to have water. You know, these kinds of basic requirements of life shape the form of that life. You know, one of the basic laws of biology here on the earth is that similar environments create similar forms and you can have completely unrelated species here on the earth come to look very much alike just because their environment is so similar even though they're unrelated i I cite a number of examples of of various uh, you know, animal species that look very much alike but aren't, uh, you know, derived from each other. And so that could be the case in what's called the grays, you know, and also in in these human-looking beings that my prediction is that when a probe or, or some sort of positive verification of the nature of the life forms on these other life-supporting planets. They're not going to be astounded how bizarre they are. They're going to be amazed at the similarities that arise independently of Earth, how similar those forms are to life forms on Earth.
1: Like Vulcans and Earth people in Star Trek, Travis Walton is here. Sorry I dropped that in. With Gene and Chris, you're in. The Paracast.
8: Leading the way for the nation Compelling talk For every political persuasion We
1: are GCN
13: Summertime is safe big time at Herbal Healer Academy. Long-term customers know summer is the time to stock up at HerbalHealer.com. And for new customers, welcome to the web's best place to save on vitamins, minerals, and more. Log on for summer specials, including all sizes of colloidal silver, colloidal minerals, and intestinal freedom on sale. Choose from Herbal Healer's great variety of weight loss products like apple cider vinegar, Hootia, and metabolic complex and pro-metabolic, all on sale now. Also, the anti-parasite intestinal freedom and wormwood plus complex, plus stevia liquid sweetener and the super enzymes, all on sale for summer at herbalhealer.com. As always, we offer certificate correspondence courses in natural medicine. Enjoy same-day shipping and free online newsletter. Log on now to herbalhealer.com and look for summer specials to save big with our nation's leader in supplying quality natural medicine and education since 1988. Herbal Healer Academy.
5: you can't afford to wait so call 866-91-STEEL lock in your price now call 866-91-STEEL that's 866-917-8335
3: Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri?
1: Okay, similar to us, life forms throughout the universe, humanoids. Interesting concept. Travis Walton is here. His book and the movie, Fire in the Sky, and a little bit later this year, he will be sponsoring the Skyfire Summit. Travis Walton's anniversary UFO conference, which if you want to get up there, you're going to see some great speakers. We have loads of questions from our listeners and Chris O'Brien's going to go to the next one, Chris.
2: Travis, this question comes from Marduk, who's one of our posters at forum.theparacast.com. And uh, (laughs) he starts out his, his post with, holy crap, I would love to ask Travis uh, about details about his time in the star chamber, where, if he remembers correctly, you pulled a lever and you were given an external view or a simulation of the surrounding space outside of the craft. And he's specifically interested in any sort of user interface and what your impressions were. If this was like some sort of navigational tool, uh, a pilot cockpit, or <laughs> people's entertainment device, kind of wondering about that one. But what was this star chamber? And I remember from the book that you were given this this opportunity to look at the surrounding space around you. Could you kind of describe that scene for us?
7: Well, you know, that's all speculation as to wh- whether it was a projection, a star map, or simulation, or it was actually a viewing of where it was at, you know, in, in real time. Back then, you know, things like touchscreen hadn't been invented, so it never even occurred to me to touch the screen to see if there would be any effect from that. And most of the buttons I pushed didn't really seem to do anything. You know, I, of course, wouldn't have known how to operate it properly or what it was for, but all I was trying to do was open a door, hoping to escape You know, whether this was uh, some technology that allowed one to view through the sides of the craft, or if it was just uh, like a projection, uh, um, you know, a planetarium-like simulation, you know, I, I was unable to, you know, tell the difference. But when moving the lever moved the star pattern, the entire pattern moved in unison. It wasn't like stars moving relative to each other, but that was very disorienting because this projection was 360 degrees all around me. Uh, actually, in a few years ago, I went through some kind of a carnival thing where you're walking through this tunnel and and and. Uh, They've got a big barrel surrounding you, and points of light are rotating around. And it's extremely disorienting. It's very hard to walk upright because it, you know your your visual cues to to vertical uh, are distorted by the you know these patterns moving around you. You know, I wasn't. I wasn't like, gee whiz, look! Look at this neat technology. You know, exploring kind of thing. It was just kind of a hysterical, desperate, mindless button pushing to try to open a door.
2: Well, boy, I, I tell you, I probably would have been pushing buttons and pulling levers myself if I I were in your shoes in that situation. But it sounds like the technology. May have not been as exalted as perhaps you would expect aboard a craft of this sort. Have you ever entertained the possibility that maybe this was some sort of like strange military psyops experiment that you would?
7: Oh yeah, become I, an, an unwitting
2: uh, participant in in something very earthbound and and uh, and very classified.
7: Yeah, I I really did think about that. You know, the idea that there was somebody from military intelligence getting involved and claiming to be a nearby witness, uh, you know, added to that. And, you know, the the whole reality testing I was doing about what had happened here, you know, I was grasping at any kind of an explanation. And, yeah, I wondered, especially, you know, with the appearance of human-looking beings there, if this wasn't some kind of mind control uh, experiment of some kind and you know i i went on online and looked up mind control and i was amazed uh, you know i had no idea that you know that this was a an area that uh our government had been so deeply into there was so many uh, things online it was
2: astonishing well that kind of begs the question um what did these humanoid uh beings that you encountered uh give us a sense of their personalities their demeanor what what sort of interactions did, did you have with them um what did they well, say were they trying to to calm you down were they trying to give you information
7: i was certainly ple- screaming and pleading and begging for information and uh, they seemed determined not to provide any they were totally silent and um I don't think they were mute. I think they were refusing to speak. And it might just be that they realized that in my total hysteria, my total loss of control, that there was no consoling me. There was no calming
2: me down. And we we have some other was- questions. Um, you know, do you remember ever drinking water, eating food, uh, having to go to the bathroom? Do you have any sort of, you know, basic human, uh needs uh recollections you were gone 5 days you came back yeah, in well, a healthy condition um do you remember any sort of of uh, medical procedures to maybe supply you with uh, uh some sort of liquid sustenance uh, intravenously or any sort of sense of maintaining your physical body
7: well you know over the course of 5 days it, it, naturally all those uh, sorts of things would have been uh, would have had to have occurred so, um, being unable to remember that, that portion of it, I, I can't give the details about what happened there, but, you know, it would have had to have been fed, would have had been supplied water and wastes and, and the, that whole thing. But that brief conscious period, uh, certainly, you know, I wasn't sitting down to a meal or anything And during that, uh, you know, rather emotionally intense uh, period of time, um, Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, you know, who knows with a a technology that advanced what method of, of, uh, you know, uh, hydration and and nutrient replenishment they might have. You know, it it could be that if I was in a coma of a part of that time, uh, that they might have some way of administering nutrition, you know, just by bathing the body in a solution or, you know, even the way they do it in hospitals where they can intubate people and, and, uh, you know, introduce food into their stomach. Um, who knows? Uh, it's, uh, kind of futile to speculate on that kind of stuff because I, I just have no clues.
1: When you awakened on the road in the forest, you got up, did you have to run to the bathroom or something did you feel hungry any of these common sensations there was
7: some hunger and there was some dehydration uh there was quite a pronounced weight loss that uh, was restored in a matter of hours just by the next day my weight had returned to normal
1: so that wait 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 okay just stop a second i just have to understand this a big weight loss did you weigh yourself did you look skinnier and suddenly you were back to normal yeah
7: yeah my my uh when i was returned my brother had me get on the scale and uh you know i was lighter than i had been in previous days you know you, you, you're there, uh, you got you got bathroom scales you just step on them every morning you know sure and you know um it was We took the scales to the doctor's office and compared them to his, you know, trying to, you know, verify that, that, you know, his way, the doctor's scales versus mine. And there was a, a weight loss there that I recovered from very quickly that, you know, the only way that would happen was if it was due primarily to dehydration rather than starvation. So, uh, if they were supplying hydration, it wasn't quite adequate for uh, what was necessary. But they they may have had a reason for that.
1: I'm going to ask some specific questions about that before we get to our next question from a listener in our next segment. Travis Walton is here with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast.
8: To GCN, proudly sponsored by unseennow.com. Lock down your digital life at unseennow.com. This is GCN.
10: September is National Preparedness Month, so make it a September to remember by getting your emergency food supply from the Freeze Dry Guy. On sale this month, our 2014 Stew Butter and Potatoes unit. You'll get one number ten can each of high quality Mountain House Chicken Stew, Vegetable Stew with Beef, Pilot Crackers, plus the highest quality dehydrated ABC Stew, Butter and Potatoes for a total of 160 one half cup servings. Retail value one sixty one forty one, but not this month. The Freeze Dry Guy offers the 2014 Stew Butter and Potatoes unit for only one twenty three. Save over $37. Plenty of protein, veggies, carbs for energy, and tasty, hearty, storable food with a shelf life of over 25 years. Call 866 404 3663. Free shipping to the lower 48 states. Click freezedryguy.com or call 866 404 3663. That's freezedryguy.com. Hurry, the National Preparedness Month sale and September 30th from the Freeze Dry Guy. The finest freeze dried and dehydrated foods available anywhere for long term storage.
19: Ouch! My back is out again! Hi, Dr. Ortman with Wellspring Spinal Care. If you're experiencing neck, mid, or lower back pain, this information is for you. One of the complaints that I hear is, patients receive their typical adjustment, only having to repeat them as the pain returns. Putting the bones back in place is only half of the battle. At Wellspring Spinal Care, we have the entire solution. We use the Nuca approach, utilizing three-dimensional x-rays and gentle touch technology to deliver specific correction. We then a custom nutritional supplement program which provides essential nutrients targeting the areas of concern. With a NUCA approach and proper nutrition, you'll be on your way to a faster and more permanent recovery. To get you on the road to wellness, visit DrOrtman.com. That's dr o r DrOrtman.com. Or call us today, 952-303-9124. That's 952-303-9124. Wellspring Spinal Care, chiropractic done right.
1: Hi, this is Nick Pope. You're listening to the Paracast. Travis Walton wrote Fire in the Sky, a movie of the same name with a fictionalized account of his UFO abduction experience. You're on with Gene and Chris in the Powercast. So, okay, trying to clarify this here. What did you weigh in Specifically, Travis, before this episode occurred, if you, since you mentioned you know going on the bathroom scale and everything, so I woke up this morning. I weighed myself after exercising. I weigh 184. What did you weigh?
7: I, I really don't remember the exact figures. You know, uh, at the time, I, I wrote them down at the time, but you know, it was it was uh, five or ten pounds something was the difference between you know, my normal weight and then what I weighed immediately afterwards and then, and then you know, totally recovered from.
1: You're saying in a few hours, say you weigh 170 pounds and you get back and you weigh 160, but in a few hours you weigh 170 again. Yeah. Okay. All right. Just trying to understand this.
7: Yeah. Whether it was 5 or 10 pounds, I I don't remember right now, but I'm sure I wrote it in the book, but, uh, you know, it's just not a figure I carry around in my head. Um, But all that was documented with, you know, the doctor's scales and whatnot.
1: So when they finally got you back and you finally connected with the authorities, they sent you to the hospital for examination?
7: Yeah, well, the first medical examination was two doctors came to the house and and did a thorough exam there. And then the next morning, I went into the office for the uh, further testing. And then uh, some of that was sent out, you know, like to uh, uh, Barrow's Neurological and and the um, heart place where they did the EKG, the heart monitoring. So there were a number of tests that were, you know, gotten to. It was fairly urgent to get them done fairly quickly, you know, the concern being just you know, what were the after effects of this experience, including being hit by that energy.
2: Well, that kind of leads us to another question from Fast Walker, who posted at the question bank at forum.theparacast.com. And he's wondering if you've had any medical conditions or ailments, maybe since the abduction event, or have you recently come into being, uh, have recently come into being that you suspect are results of the abduction. In other words, uh, have you had any sort of medical conditions that you can tie to the event? And the, I guess the, the inverse of this is, uh, did you have any allergies or any other conditions before the experience that that were cured by that? And, um, his follow-up question to that is, do you find your men- mental condition to be one of increasing clarity after all these years since this event, or do you feel your mental condition is is about the same?
7: Well, you know, I, I really used to duck those kind of questions a lot because I really didn't want to be the bug in the jar, but, uh, you know... Many people report having various medical problems as a result of uh, contact of some kind, but it's been quite the opposite for me. Um, I've just been incredibly healthy ever since. Um, I hesitated to ever report anything that I can't first prove, so I went in to my uh employer and got a printout of my attendance record and you know in the last 39 years uh, i never called in sick one time and uh i just you know don't get sick uh, uh, if the whole family comes down with it and they're sick in bed for three or four days i might have some vague symptoms come on for a few hours and then it's gone and I I don't know, you know, it could just be that I take good care of myself and uh, got good genetics. It could, you know, be unrelated, but I don't have any negative uh, health effects from it.
2: Well, you seem like a a healthy guy. I I met you back in 2009 at the, um, the, I think, the first Aztec conference. And I remember, you know, for years, I I mean, I must admit, Travis, uh, I've been a, a huge... Uh, I can't say fan of yours. I mean, I, I really feel that you were kind of victimized in in this situation. But I remember my first semester in college, reading all the news reports about your your you know incredible uh, claim and and your encounter. And I've always wanted to meet you, and I finally got a chance to meet you in two thousand nine. And I remember that you were really excited because you had had confirmation from an Air Force officer about some sort of uh, activity that had been reported by this gentleman uh, right in the time frame where your event occurred in November '75. Uh, do you want to talk about that a little bit? You haven't really mentioned much about that publicly. Well,
7: I, I don't. I don't. I don't have a lot of specifics. But you know, it came to you know my attention here recently that there were a whole series of during during '1975 and right in that time period, there were a number of. Um, Close encounters reported by the military around nuclear facilities, uh, especially across the northern United States, Uh, but in in various places where there was nuclear installations, they had these unexplained uh, visits.
2: Uh right around Malmstrom Air Force Base in the missfields there off it i think had uh, uh an encounter or two, but wasn't there some air Force officer that claimed he saw had a sighting uh, down in the area in arizona where where your event uh, occurred?
7: Oh, yeah. Uh, there was actually a number, and, you know, later on, after the case was closed, the sheriff's file revealed that people who had been camping in the area at the time reported uh, sightings uh, that described the craft that we saw, and... Uh, um but probably not everyone that saw something has come forward, because, you know, some of them have just been people who just called up and said, yeah, I I saw this. But, you know, it just went kind of undocumented.
2: Right. Clifford mahoudi who's going to be speaking at the Skyfire Conference or Summit, uh, is one of those people who had, uh, you know, multiple witness sightings of a craft that hovered right over the the Zuni Pueblo, they were actually able to see uh, what appeared to be beings walking uh, in front of, uh, you know, backlit uh, through windows. (laughs) Uh, But I seem to recall that this particular Air Force officer was down in the area and had a sighting, I think if not that same night, within that same couple day time period.
7: Well, you may be uh, referring to uh, the, the this guy coming forward that was actually a witness to my incident uh, coming forward. He said that, you know, he had been deer hunting with his wife and he was on the next ridge. And when he called up and described this, you know, this is remote country and, you, you know, you'd have to be out there to be able to describe the terrain, which is never in any news report, uh, you know. And so I, I told Tracy Torme about it, and, and then I just forgot about it. But uh, apparently, uh, Paramount flew him out to Hollywood and interviewed him and, uh, and then decided to give him lie detector test. Now, at the time he was telling me this, he was saying that the reason he didn't come forward at the time was that he was in military intelligence at the time, And that he asked his superiors, should he come forward? Because these guys were accused of murder. And uh, he said that his uh, uh, commanding officer said, well, uh, unless they're actually indicted, you should just stay out of it. And he said he'd always regretted not coming forward. So when Paramount uh, had him... uh, polygraphed, they discovered that he was telling the truth about being in military intelligence and that he was on the next ridge and that he saw the glow of the craft through the trees and even the the flash of the beam when it struck me. And he passed a test on that, but when he took another test about being in connection with this effort to discredit the incident and, and cover up the debunkers, He flunked that one. So nationally, Paramount, you know, uh, uh, was pretty stern in their warnings about what he might be up to, and and he kind of disappeared from the scene. But years later, I talked to a guy that was a member of one of these, uh, what do you call them, uh, patriot groups or something like that. Uh, And this guy was uh, actually at that group as an infiltrator and so uh and he was uh, was telling them about having been present uh when this incident happened and so you know there was some kind of a covert military thing going on there that that's kind of scary to think about and there has been a number of things that suggest that some of the efforts to discredit this are, are linked to some kind of covert agency.
1: I've got a lot more to ask you. Chris has a lot more to ask you, and our listeners have many more questions. We'll try to get to most of them. Travis Walton with Gene and Chris. You're in The power test.
8: Great minds think alike network for the independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network. GCN.
11: No, no, no. I refuse to age.
10: How would you like to refuse or even reverse the signs of aging? You can with a breakthrough skincare line that utilizes growth factors and plant stem cells to visibly turn back the clock. It's clinically proven and the results are stunning. Call one Five hundred zero eight one five one eight four four five hundred zero eight one five or visit I refuse to
12: age. com
13: 912-1595 that's 1-888-912-1595 one 912
3: 1595
0: welcome back to the paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio and now here's jane steinberg
1: Travis Walton is here. His book, Fire in the Sky, the movie Fire in the Sky, coming in November. We have that special event, the Sky Fire
2: Summit.
7: Yeah, www.skyfiresummit.com.
2: I can't wait, Travis. It's, it's really going to be fun. I love Heber. It's a beautiful area up there. Um, I, I've camped all along the Mogollon Rim from Turkey Creek all the way west uh, you know, to, you know, just <laughs> down the road from my house. Uh, we're talking about this this uh, person that came forward that kind of gives a hint that there may have been some sort of government activity uh, going on, some sort of covert military activity going on in and around the area on the Mogion Rim where this incident occurred in November 75. And I have a question from Harry, Uh, Newton uh, calls himself Hand, he's one of our dedicated posters at forum.theparacast.com and his first question is, have you ever been questioned by, quote, a, a government agency, unquote, regarding the construction performance or control of the UFO that you were taking aboard? Or, I would expand it and say, has anyone from the military or the government ever quizzed you about your experience?
7: No, and you know, that's what's really strange is that they've been so totally hands off. And I'm not even trying to suggest that there's any reason for it, but even my foremost detractor just harassed other members of the crew and never once attempted to contact me at all. Never, never a word.
2: Talking about Phil and Class.
7: There was a Freedom of Information Act request on his FBI file, and it turns out that he was under investigation a number of times for revealing classified information. And uh, they chose not no, to. No, who are we
2: talking about here?
7: But we're talking about Philip Glass. So, he was so under Klass, investigation okay. by the FBI for revealing classified information in connection with his job as a as an editor at Aviation Week and Space Right. There's a memo in the file from the director of the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover, to the director of the Central Intelligence Agency, basically turning the matter over to them. They were saying in there that they were deciding not to prosecute because to discuss these uh, security breaches in court would, uh, you know, further compromise the secrets. But right, would you know, bring more people attention are prosecuted to people are prosecuted for this all the time and all they do is swear in the judges and everybody involved and and they you would not ever be able to prosecute anyone for revealing classified information if that was the criteria that you know to, to prosecute it would you know, further bring it out. So uh it's it's standard CIA recruitment tactics to gain Uh, control of someone or influence over them to have some sort of prosecutable offense to as leverage. And, you know, I'm not saying that I think that they turned him into a skeptic, but they (laughs) certainly gained the ability to direct his activities and uh, maybe help him out because some of his uh, efforts uh, to discredit me,
2: you know, well, Tra- Travis, uh, speaking of efforts to uh, discredit you, was it the Montel Williams show in the mid '90s that you and Mike were on, where Class was sitting there uh, foaming at the mouth in the front row? Was that the show?
7: That was that was that was a Larry King show, and uh, that was. Coincidentally, right after that military intelligence guy called me up.
2: Right, because, uh, boy, you I text without a Even in that, advanced, even in was that situation,
7: advanced. I uh, Philip Klass never spoke to me. He was in another part of the studio, brought in by monitor, never addressed me, and I never addressed him. And... To the day he died, he never attempted to call me or write to me or phone me up or anything. And that was his modus operandi, you know, is to, is to call up uh, UFO experiencers and try to trip them up or in some way, you know, misquote them, uh, creatively edit what they say to make it look like they said something they didn't. But not a single letter, not a single phone call from him, even though he harassed Mike. And one of the guys on the crew, the youngest guy, he was actually offered ten thousand dollars from Philip Class to discredit the incident. Money that was never exchanged because, of course, there was nothing to discredit. But this was this ten thousand dollar—well, I call it a bribe—was pushed for quite some time to try to get uh, uh, Steve uh, to um, say something to, to uh, dis- discredit the case and. Uh, You know, there's a whole lot of things that, you know, uh, about classes, activities, that just don't square with somebody simply researching for an anti-UFO book. I mean, he invested way too much money in it. Flying yeah. to Texas and taking Steve out to dinner. And where, where's this $10,000 going to come from, you know? I doubt he made that much off of off of uh, an anti-UFO book.
2: Well, but, um, uh, he made a bet with Stanton Friedman that he lost and paid him $1,000, so...
7: <laughs> well, he bet me, and I proved him wrong, but he never paid me. But <laughs>
1: right. wait a minute, Travis. Maybe he needed the money to pay off Stanton. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, well, that leads well, me to another question from one of our listeners. You know, I've noticed uh, here in the last five years that uh, other members of the crew that that witnessed uh, this event have come forward finally and have decided to be become publicly acknowledged for. For for their role in this event, w- what sort of relationship now do you have with those original crew members that uh, were out there logging with you?
7: Well, that's the that's the big hole in in Class's collaborator theory is that we were never a group of buddies uh, working together. We didn't even hang out together when we were off the job. Uh, we were there to, to, as coworkers, and you know, so I really lost touch with a, a lot of these guys to the point where you know it was. After a couple of them died, it was months before I found out about it. Um, Alan Dallas is no longer with us, and uh, Dwayne Smith has passed away. So, I'd always uh, thought it would be great to get everyone together again, you know, and uh, you know, have some sort of a you know, you know, comparing of notes or whatever after all these years. Uh, But you know, now that a couple of them passed away, that would be rather incomplete, but the most recent production that got most of the crew and a lot of people who had never been interviewed at all was the uh, sci-fi series Paranormal Witness. They did an hour and a half just on my case, uh, you know, for the first time going outside their one-hour format. And uh, it was really the best of dozens of documentaries that have been done in the last 39 years.
1: I'm going to want to ask you more about this in this segment, then we'll get into this further next time. You mentioned someone who took a polygraph test administered by Paramount Pictures. You also were subjected to what, two polygraphs? Five. Five.
7: Five. I've passed five different lie detector tests by three different examiners, all of whom had extensive years in law enforcement. And, you know, at the time that the crew passed, the president of the American Polygraph Association said that the odds were a million to one of there being any mistaken verdict when you've got six people uh, being tested on the same issue. But now there's been 16 passed tests in connection with this incident.
1: Now, the reason I ask so, you that is that it had been reported that you had a problem with one of these tests.
7: Oh, yeah, early on, you know, uh there was a um a test. It was it was during the period of time when I was so was extremely, you know, on, on the verge of a nervous breakdown that, you know, the psychiatrists uh were saying there's no way a test at this time could be valid. And uh turns out that the examiner uh was really not qualified and his test results have been reviewed by, you know, three of the top experts in the world, and you know, he just, it was just riddled with errors, and uh, they totally discount his opinion
1: on the matter. So if you look at the totality, you came through pretty good. Let's talk more about this in a moment. We have Travis Walton joining Gene and Chris. You're in The Pemmercast. <laughs> a2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24-7, 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now,
16: to get the discount, use the coupon code GENE, when you check out. Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Reason Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: Chris there takes kind of an ET kind of tone there. Right, Chris? Is that your ET voice or a trickster voice? No, I won't do the trickster voice. I get dogged too much every time. He couldn't help it. He couldn't help it. Travis Walton is with us. We have that event coming in November. Skyfire Summit. With all those guests. Great guest list. This is as good as you get. I mean, you know, we have a few debates with a few of the people who are over there, at least one of those people. But this is about as good as you get when you have a UFO conference. In fact, I think you're doing a lot better than MUFON on this one, Travis.
7: Well, I heard that kind of went badly, but these things happen.
1: Well, you know, I think they don't vet their guests anymore. They're looking for box office. And this is a difficult thing, too. You're having this in a small town that's not an easy trip. It's not near an airport, for example. So do you think that's going to hurt the potential attendance?
7: Well, I've been to some pretty popular conferences where I had to drive an hour or two, you know, from the airport to get there. So I don't think that's all that much of a problem. It's a little bit out of the way, but you know, right up the highway, it's you know, just a couple hours from the airport.
2: Right, and you're going to be running shuttle buses uh, or shuttle vans uh, to and from the airport too, if I if I remember from the uh, promo material. Yes. Yeah, and anybody who thinks that uh, Heber is out of the way obviously never attended Lou Farish's uh, Eureka Springs conference that uh, went for 25, 30 years down in Arkansas. I mean, that was a hike to the Fayetteville airport. And the scariest airplane ride I ever had was going from Fayetteville to Dallas during an ice storm with a with a supercell that spawned 13 tornadoes. The stewardess aboard the flight retired after that flight. So. I'm not saying that's going to happen going to Phoenix uh, and then shuttling your way up to Heber. But, uh, Travis, I'm really looking forward to it. I think that the uh, Skyfire Summit idea is a good one. It's a beautiful part of Arizona. It's not saguaro cactus. Uh, we're in verdant uh, pine forest, ponderosas. And, uh, I, you know, having camped right there in that area It's really one of the most beautiful spots in Arizona, especially to have a conference of this sort.
1: You know what, Chris, maybe what I'll have you do, Chris, is I will close my eyes and you'll drive me there.
2: (laughs) Well, we'll just teleport you, Gene. How's
1: that? Scotty, beam me up. He never said, by the way, Captain Kirk, beam me up, Scotty. It was always a variation. One of those urban legends that
2: didn't come true.
7: Play it again, Sam. That's right. He never said "Play it again, Sam."
2: Yeah. No, he said, "Play it, Sam, just like you used to, or something like that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I kept listening to that movie, and I thought they must have edited that segment out of it. It's not what I was supposed to hear.
2: Well, okay, uh, we're going back to our question bank, which uh, is where listeners to the Paracast can go on the forums at forum.theparacast.com, and you, too, can ask questions of our esteemed guests. And Travis, this is a real pleasure. And thank you so much for uh, you know ag- agreeing to be on the show. And this comes from Stagger Lee, who's one of our longtime posters at forum.theparacast.com. and he's wondering what your opinion is of abduction research that has now blossomed in the intervening almost 40 years. And he's wondering what do you think of of the work of Bud Hopkins, uh, David Jacobs, John Mack. Were these guys onto the truth of the phenomenon, or what?
7: Well, you know, as I said before, you know, there's a mix of truth and something else. And, uh, you know, and, and I don't mean necessarily uh, falsehood. You know, there's, there's what's actually happening and some things that are being mistaken for, for for what's happening. But, you know, there's a core reality here that's very important to research. I think there's far more reports than there are, you know, actual incidents. But, you know, it's inevitable, you know. Uh, I don't think that that in any way discredits the reality of the phenomenon. you know, people who are out prospecting for gold run across all sorts of things they think might be it, and but uh, you know, only gold is gold. and there is some some authentic cases that really need study out there and and uh, that's you know what what really needs to be done as far as ufology and and the researchers is to, you know, have more stringent protocol as far as trying to separate out, you know, what's worthy of research and what's not. <laughs>
2: yeah, you and, think?
7: <laughs> but, but you know, you know, people, this 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 error in thinking permeates our culture. If if OJ Simpson go in goes in and found, is found not guilty, people say he was found innocent. No, he wasn't. That's not the same thing at all. To say that something is worthy of research, and these aren't, is not the same as saying these other cases are are untrue. Many of them are be true, will be true, but they're just not the kind of uh, evidence with that you can deal with to to know one way or the other. You know, our legal system really needs to uh, you know be fine tuned in the terminology. You know, not guilty is not the equivalent of innocent. Skeptics make this. The skeptics say, if you can't prove this is true, if I can prove that you can't prove it's true, then I have proved it's false. And that's just bad reasoning. You know, the inability to prove that something's true does not prove that it's false.
2: You know, I agree. Um, absence of evidence is not uh, evidence uh, right. in, in, in that regard. Well, here's a question from Psychedelic Alchemist, who's uh, a poster at com. And this is, a, a, a you know, an interesting question. I don't think I've ever heard anyone ask you this before. Since, you know, 39 years ago, have you had any other UFO sightings or any sort of contact or any other event that you felt was high strange, out of the ordinary, maybe observing a, a sighting event that you couldn't explain? I'm sure that you've been, you know, very diligent in, uh, you know, keeping your eyes open uh, as you go through your everyday life. Have you ever had any more sightings or any sort of uh, event?
7: Well, all these years I've been asked that question, and I've always said, you know, that if anything more was to happen, I wouldn't tell anybody. But I did have a sighting in February that I will admit to because I had two people with me. I was leaving a MUFON meeting in L.A. We were driving up the 5 towards the 10, and. this this sounds almost unbelievable but one of these giant triangular shaped craft came down to you know to the west of the five towards us stopped over the top of us flying very low gigantic sort of turned uh, and then you know by then it was over the roof of the car and couldn't see what happened after that it was clearly visible unmistakable and I was just astounded that, you know, something flying over that gigantic, over a city the size of Los Angeles, there would be all kinds of reports. But you know what? People just don't look up. But when I got home, my son went on this website called UFOstalker.com, and there was a whole cluster of sightings right there. They had a Google Map type thing on the site showing that, you know, there was about a dozen uh, sightings right at that spot at that time.
1: Let's break it here, Travis, and we'll get into more of this. With Gene and Chris, you're in. The Paracast.
8: You're listening to GCN, proudly sponsored by UnseenNow.com. Lock down your digital life at UnseenNow.com. This is GCN.
10: September is National Preparedness Month, so make it a September to remember by getting your emergency food supply from the Freeze Dry Guy. On sale this month, our 2014 Stew Butter and Potatoes unit. You'll get one number ten can each of high quality Mountain House Chicken Stew, Vegetable Stew with Beef, Pilot Crackers, plus the highest quality dehydrated ABC Stew, Butter and Potatoes for a total of 160 one half cup servings. Retail value one sixty one forty one, but not this month. The Freeze Dry Guy offers the 2014 Stew Butter and Potatoes unit for only one twenty three. 93. Save over $37. Plenty of protein, veggies, carbs for energy, and tasty, hearty, storable food with a shelf life of over 25 years. Call 866 404 3663. Free shipping to the lower 48 states. Click freezedryguy.com or call 866 404 3663. That's freezedryguy.com. Hurry, the National Preparedness Month sale and September 30th from the Freeze Dry Guy. The finest freeze dried and dehydrated foods available anywhere for long term storage
13: This is Kurt the author of UFO
1: Mysteries, and you're listening to the
3: Paracast.
1: You ever think here? We always hear the claim that since so many people have smartphones, we've got the brand new iPhone 6 just came out this week, Travis Walton. And the key thing about it is that it has a better camera. And the bigger one, the iPhone 6 Plus, has optical stabilization, so you can take great high definition movies. But well, the problem with smartphones, as you know, is that people are looking down at their smartphones. They're not looking up in the sky to see something they might want to photograph.
7: Well, you know, it's interesting that, you know, Tracy Torme commented to me recently about this. And he really thinks that the occupants of these craft, you know, with their technology have actually modified their behavior because of the existence of cell phones and cameras like that. If the crew had, you know, if this happened when cell phones exist, there would have been seven cameras going there. If, uh, would have been on
2: Facebook NSA within a couple of hours.
7: One of the, the NSA knows where every single one of these cell phones is. Certainly, this technology, hundreds of thousands of years ahead of us, could do the same thing and, you know, either avoid them or even actually reach in there and, and tamper with what's being recorded.
2: You know, that begs the question, why do they even have lights at all? They don't need to have lights like a Christmas tree or, you know, unless it's some sort well, of... You know, pla- I've, I've uh,
7: talked I- about that subject here recently. You know, you've got the two extremes, the skeptics who say if this was real, they'd land on the White House lawn and say, here we are. And then uh, I bring up the point that with a technology hundreds of thousands or millions of years ahead of us, as Michio Kaku points out, but, you know, quit imagining them as being a few hundred years ahead of us. You know, With their technology, they could do everything they want to do here and remain completely undetected. Now, they're doing neither. They're neither remaining undetected, and they're not landing on the White House lawn. And I theorize, my theory is that they are... Playing this peekaboo sort of barely verifiable, provable sorts of uh, sightings on a continuing basis for a purpose. And it's related to this science fiction thing of uh, non interference directive that there's a conditioning program going on here. We're getting accustomed to the idea that we're not alone in a way that won't be as incredibly disrupting as it would be if they were to land on the White House lawn. Now, if that were to happen, half the world wouldn't go to work tomorrow.:
2: <laughs> Yeah, and the other half wouldn't believe that it was true. They would think it was just some yeah, sort of, uh, you know, some sort of Demonical disinformation disorder. program. Yeah. Well, well, that, that kind of brings up a question here that we have from Alien Esquire, who's a recent poster here at forum.theparacast.com, and he's wondering if you believe that the general public's perception of your encounter has changed over the last 39-plus years, and if so, has this public perception helped or hurt your ability to promote awareness of these types of, of events? And what, if any, effect has the ufological community's perception of your encounter had on your ability to actually communicate to people about what happened to you?
7: Well, I think that, you know, to answer the last part first, that, you know, some of what goes on in the ufological community has muddied the water a bit because there are, you know, some rather uh, outlandish claims out there that, you know, we get branded. You know, if the news media comes to a conference and there's a guy with a tinfoil hat or a wire pyramid on his head, that's the guy that's going to be on the news that night. They're not going to talk to the rational, well-reasoned, scientific-minded person who's giving good reasons for why this. There's uh, This is a respectable area of study. But to answer the first part of the question, yeah, over the years, uh, there's been a definite improvement in the acceptance of what happened to me. I think, in due in part, because I've written a book that took every single allegation the skeptics made head on and refuted them with solid doc- documentation. But, you know, also, back when this happened, they weren't. For certain, there was a single planet outside of this solar system. Astronomers, of course, theorized that other stars probably had planets, but even the Drake equation was uh, had far lower numbers than has been borne out by Kepler. And, you know, NASA announced in the in the last year that it's a virtual certainty now that most stars have about a dozen planets going around them, and they've even been able to determine which ones are possibly Earth-like, and so you know this understanding this dawning awareness uh, has changed the public attitude you know the the likelihood that we're you know completely alone and all those little sparkly things in the sky at night are just there to give us something to look at you know is is a, an absurd notion and uh, rather egocentric I think, you know, acceptance of, of the whole idea in general has grown, and the fact that a lot of false rumors have been dispelled over the years has contributed to uh, greater acceptance. And, you know, I'm I'm feeling it on the local level, too. You know, people come up to me and shake my hand and say, I always supported you, but only now am I coming forward with the
2: confidence to say so publicly, you know? Yeah, well, that you know, this brings up the whole subject of, public perception of ufological events and how the media, when it gets involved, tends to ratchet up the fear element, ratchet up the the suspense, the drama. Here's a question from Stagger Lee, who, again, is a poster at forum.theparacast.com, where you can ask questions of our guests. He's wondering about the, the film Fire in the Sky, and he says, I understand the producers took great liberty in recreating your experience aboard the saucer. And he's wondering if you had any say over this, whether you were able to uh, be involved.
7: I had no say over that, and, you know, I tried to exert some of that influence and almost got myself barred from the set. Now, once you sign your rights away, you know, that's the way it is, and it's not just me. You know, uh, Michael Crichton wound up walking off the set of several of movies that were made from his books because of disagreements with... But it's understandable that Hollywood is not going to put someone else in the driver's seat when they've got millions of dollars to invest. You know, they're, they're... it, it, to them, it's a business, and uh, they're not going to allow me to have any sort of veto power. It just doesn't happen, and you know, even at the at the most uh, highest level with writers and, and and people having their books made into movies. So, I had no control over that. However, I am looking to get a remake of the movie done, and I've
2: had oh, cool.
7: People email me to uh, expressing that desire. And so I'm collecting all those emails. And one day I will take them to the studio and say, you know, there's definitely an interest out there in seeing something that sticks more true to what really happened.
1: The only hope you have here, Travis, is that Hollywood running out of ideas is regularly mining older films to do remakes. Yeah, Some...
2: Oh, yeah. You were saying, Chris, I I said, uh, let's reboot the the whole scenario, because I know talking with Tracy over the years that he was very, very upset with the portrayal of the actual events that occurred as you remember them aboard the ship. Uh, That, in fact, there was even talk about some sort of legal injunction uh, at one point. Well, do you think that the the fact that Hollywood takes these cases, yours in particular, but, but cases in general, and, you know, it goes through this embellishment, this uh, ratcheting up the fear, or they do their own Hollywood spin on it. Do you think that this has, in your case, do you think this has diminished your case in any way? Are, are you okay with how uh, your events aboard the ship were portrayed in the movie?
7: Well... You know, I was extremely disappointed at the time, and there, I did receive some backlash. Although, at the time, my reaction to it as being so horrific and so, you know, terrorizing was pretty accurately, you know, it, it left people with the feeling that I had at the time. But over the years, you know, realizing that it was probably more about reviving me than than just, you know, taking me aboard the experiment on me or torment me. That evolving consciousness, you know, awareness is something that I think needs to be re- redone. And so, you know, the, 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 the fact that the movie was made at all did open up people's willingness to take a look at the facts and follow up on, you know, reading the facts I put down in the book. And, and so in that sense, it, it helped to uh, get the truth out there.
1: We have Travis Walton joining Gene and Chris. You're in. The Paracast.
8: Not just an alternative to the mainstream media. We're the premier
0: independent talk radio network. We are GCN. Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget.
5: That's right, General Steel, America's leader in pre-engineered structures, is offering buildings at prices you will never see again. Don't miss these prices: a fifty by one hundred for thirty-five thousand dollars. You heard right—that's five thousand square feet for thirty-five thousand dollars. Manufacturers, if you need a larger building, try a one hundred by one hundred commercial building for $129,000. You can't afford to rent with these prices. Imagine a seventy by one hundred foot church building for under sixty-nine thousand dollars. With the economy improving and interest rates still at historic. You can't afford to wait. So call 866-91-STEEL. Lock in your price now. Call 866-91-STEEL. That's
13: 866-917-8335. Summertime is save big time at Herbal Healer Academy. Long-term customers know summer is the time to stock up at herbalhealer.com. And for new customers, welcome to the web's best place to save on vitamins, minerals, and more. Log on for summer specials, including all sizes of colloidal silver, colloidal minerals, and intestinal freedom on sale. Choose from Herbal Healer's great variety of weight loss products like apple cider vinegar, hoodia and metabolic complex and pro-metabolic all on sale now. Also, the anti-parasite intestinal freedom and wormwood plus complex, plus stevia liquid sweetener and the super enzymes all on sale for summer at herbalhealer.com. As always, we offer certificate correspondence courses in natural medicine, Medicine. Enjoy same day shipping and free online newsletter. Log on now to herbalhealer.com and look for summer specials to save big with our nation's leader in supplying quality natural medicine and education since 1988. Herbal Healer Academy.
12: This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast.
1: We have Travis Walton joining Gene and Chris in the PowerCast. We've asked him over the years to get over here and talk with us, and we're happy that he's come aboard. I think you're getting put through the ringer in terms of questions, Travis, but you know your stuff, and you're coming through great. Let's move on,
2: Chris. Travis, let's go ahead and talk more about the Skyfire Summit. You have an incredible lineup of, of experts. Um, what sort of criteria did you kind of tick off in your mind about how to inaugurate what I'm, I'm assuming you're hoping is an annual event uh, in a fairly obscure part of Arizona. I mean, what do you see for the, the Skyfire Summit and, and again, what sort of criteria did you uh, use to select your speakers and where do you see this uh, particular conference going in the future?
7: Well you know there was a huge number of speakers to to choose from and uh what I was after you know having something here on my home turf uh you know i, I know this is going to be you know uh, attended nationally but uh I was also very conscious of making this sort of an um uh, ufology one on one sort of a an introduction to the uh to the field and I wanted people who would take the basic facets uh of the Of the, you know, the field of study in general, and and kind of, uh, you know, put the best foot forward as far as you know, laying the groundwork for people to have a broader, basic understanding of what's really going on.
1: Okay, I also want to ask you here in terms of this kind of event. Now, I guess one of the impediments, of course, getting a large attendance is that you have to charge a fair price to cover the travel costs of the guests. They don't just fly from disparate parts of the country for free is that ever serve as a problem too about the fact that you've got to charge enough to be able to cover your costs and that might be a lot more than some people are prepared to pay
7: yeah that that is a daunting thing but you know people need to understand <laughs> our our cherished goal is to break even you know we just gotta pay the bills and you know even the venue is uh to to rent is you know over a thousand dollars a day so you know there's a lot of overhead and that's where it's all going but i think people will find it's well worth the experience because there's a you know a whole wealth of material being presented here
1: do you get a lot of media attention so far on this
7: uh well uh we're having uh uh a film crew from france come in they're filming a feature film uh and it's going to be you know the conference is going to be a little bit of a backdrop for their uh, uh docudrama well it was a it's actually a fictional film but it's you know it's more reality based and then there's uh, also a, a major magazine from france sending a, a writer over and there's another a number of other film crews and and uh, Hollywood type's going to be present, but still quite early. I've invited uh, the actor who played me, D.B. Sweeney, to come and I haven't heard back from him yet, although his agent contacted me about joining uh, him on the autograph circuit here recently. And I also invited um, the Grammy winner uh, uh, Sonny Moore, also known as Skrillex, and I spoke at his uh, birthday party in L.A. here recently and they said maybe so i'm waiting to hear back from them uh, about them you know having an autograph session together say on the on the 5th or 6th and uh, it's just uh, you know we're just get, we're getting a late start here and uh, you know things are developing day by day you know new things are coming in because we just barely announced and uh, but the website is up now and it's full functioning as far as signing up for the first day and so uh,
2: and and we're going to have a direct link uh to the conference site uh to allow people uh you know the chance to find out more and to sign up and and come to the conference and I invite everybody to to come say hello meet Travis um you know listen to these great pr- uh, presentations that'll be there Travis we've had a number of questions on the forum that that you know you are not living in a mansion you have not become a wealthy man uh you know promoting your case uh you don't make your everyday nut you're living from this what do you tell people that say oh travis he he you know he came up with this whole thing just to make money to become famous Uh you know you have your your detractors that that want to know how much money you made off off uh, Fire in the Sky, how much money you've made off your appearances and stuff. What do you tell people that, that claim that you're only in this for the money?
7: Well, you know, I made less off the movie than some of the minor actors. And, uh, you know, overall, I would say this thing has hurt me financially over the years. It's certainly cut off a lot of avenues that I might have had in my life. And even now, like I said, you know, with the conference, a break even is our goal. And uh heck, if, if I didn't have my pension uh, from the Steelworkers Union, I couldn't pay my bills. So, you know, no, it hasn't made me rich, never will. But that's, you know, right now, for so many years, I, you know, I groused about the the burden that, you know, having had this happen, that, you know, with all the problems and everything, I, I've come to realize that there's a responsibility that comes with it. And I'm hoping to make a positive difference in, in, in the world as far as making people aware of the truth and how to, how to get it.
1: So you're not running around saying, ain't it awful?
7: Well, not anymore. You know, I've got to... I've got to accept, you know, what is, is, you know, you, you just, you can't run away from it anymore. It's, it's not going to go away. I've tried that, you know, quit talking about it for a few years and all it does is leave the, the stage free for people to, you know, get out there and say things that aren't true. So...
1: Did you ever think the incident would repeat itself sometime in your life? <laughs> well, God, you mean God? I hope not. With
7: somebody else, or with me. <laughs> with you, did you so, ever
1: think that maybe this is all going to happen again? I mean, there are stories here of people who have been abducted by quote-unquote UFO aliens, and it happens again and again and again.
2: Yeah, what about your know. kids? Have anyone else in your family had any sort of sighting experiences or up-close uh, encounters?
7: Yeah, I'm pretty protective of my family, so, you know, and even to that extent, you know, even if it was to happen to me again, I, I've often said, I'd, I I doubt I would even uh, make it public. You know, I, I really had no choice in my case. People say, oh, he's a publicity seeker. Well, you know, right after this happened, I avoided the media. And then I, they acted like, well, he's got something to hide. And then as soon as you come out, well, you're a publicity seeker. So, you, you know, you can't win.
1: Wherever you go. You're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Travis Walton, tell our listeners where they can find more information about your UFO convention event, the Skyfire Summit.
7: Well, I have my own. I have my own website, traviswalton.com. But the, the conference is www.skyfiresummit.com.
1: Skyfiresummit.com. Let me just tell our listeners, we do have a link at the Paracast forums and at theparacast.com, to that site and also to travis-walton.com, which is his regular site. So either way, you click the link, you can get there and learn more about the conference. And as I said, I'd like to go there, probably have Chris drive me with my eyes closed because I don't like mountainous (laughs) roads. And every time I... I, I, That's why I don't visit Chris's home. You know, he's two hours away. I don't go there because... I just don't dig that. Hey, we've got to tell our listeners also that if you want to ask questions of our guests, you go to forum.theparacast.com. That's forum.theparacast.com. And by the way, we've got something special going on here. Chris is giving away a free copy of one of his books, Secrets of the Mysterious Valley, ebook version. The ebook version of Secrets of the Mysterious Valley. If you go to theparacast.com, theparacast.com, sign up for our weekly newsletter. It is free. Within a day or two, we'll send you out a copy of the book. Thousands of people have already taken advantage of it because our mailing list is growing by leaps, bounds. Did I say leaps and bounds? Also, check out Chris's site, ourstrangeplanet.com. That's ourstrangeplanet.com. Of course, his most recent book is Stalking the Herd. And by the way, maybe when we get Travis on the next time, we'll talk about the cattle mutilations happening in the 70s around the time of his UFO encounter. We didn't have the time this time. Travis Walton, thanks for joining us on the PowerCast.
7: Well, see you next time.
0: The Paracast